Josh, uh, isn't it true you met Benedict? Don't you, you have a little, what? A, a, a little meet cute story? You've been holding back on us. You met him? Well, I did meet Pope Benedict, and uh, my friend always said, said, you know, when you get to meet the, the Pope, you know, you just become like a clamoring idiot and you forget what you're going to say and you just stand there like. Blah, 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 blah. I said, no, I won't get stage fright. I'll say something. <sighs> All right, everyone, welcome back to the Loopcast, where we touch faith, politics and culture from a Catholic perspective, even if it gets a little messy. Today, I'm joined as always by Erica and Josh. The most breaking of breaking stories was the raid of Catholic pro-life a- activist Mark Hauk. I have not seen a comprehensive document that covered all of the details, all the timelines of this raid. It was huge news in the Catholic world. So we really want to set the table here, get all the facts straight, and then go into some takes on it. So Erica. I'm going to shoot it right at you. What happened? Please, can we just get a clear picture? Sure. So the story that broke on Friday was this raid of this um, man's home in Pennsylvania by the FBI, and the details were slow to come out. But it turns out that this story goes all the way back to October of 2021. Mark Houck has been praying outside of a Planned Parenthood in the greater Philadelphia area for, it turns out, years. Um, his, he, the, on the day in question last October, he and his 12 year old son were present, um, at the abortion clinic and there was an escort, uh, we assume a volunteer escort also there who, according to reports, um, there was an altercation between Mark and this man that was started by the escort, um, who got into quote, according to a statement from the family, quote, Mark's son's personal space and hurled foul insults. And during the um, the course of the altercation, uh, the allegation is that Mark pushed the escort to the ground. So that's the basics of what happened. Following the incident, it turns out then that the city police and the district attorney investigated the claims and declined to follow, file charges against Hauk. So the escort, who had been pushed, the um, alleged victim, filed a private criminal complaint in Philadelphia in the municipal court, but he never showed up to the court, um, to the hearings. So the case was thrown out in July. Meanwhile, in June 2022, the Department of Justice contacted Mark to say that he was under investigation for these allegations. And Hauk's lawyers communicated, um, they responded to the letter, and, vo- and he volunteered to come in of his own free will, answer any questions, and participate willingly in the investigation. Then silence. And according to um, Hauk's lawyer, um, there was nothing after they contacted the DOJ and offered to come in until Friday, when the FBI showed up dressed in their black gear and entered the home with guns drawn. According to the FBI, this is what happened. There were 20 guards. They entered the home with their guns drawn and in front of his children who were, according to his wife, screaming, took him away in handcuffs uh, to be charged. And that's the story going way back uh, 11 months now. This is still pending litigation. I I believe he's in custody right now. His hearing was today. So today's the 27th. Uh, We're recording on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And uh, he pled not guilty uh, at the federal courthouse today in Philadelphia. Right. So now that we've laid the facts out as to what we understand, according to his lawyers and their lawyers, um, until we see a body cam or uh, a ring doorbell cam or something, no one really can say what happened. But it just seems really interesting that so much federal attention would be put on what seems to be, as more facts are coming out, a really minor, normal altercation when so many other things are going on. So, Josh, why do you think that the Department of Justice really picked this specific case to put so much attention on. Again, even if they thought that this person should have been arrested, Mark, I mean, if they thought Mark Hawk should have been arrested, you know, you go to his house and you just say, okay, Mark, you know, it's time to come with us. Instead, they decide to have 20 agents in a, in a SWAT team bust into the house and scare the crap out of all the kids. But the mom, uh, you know, call to get counselors to make sure the kids, I mean, it's a very traumatic experience 
And you think, well, what did this guy do? I mean, is he a member of the mafia? I mean, is he selling fentanyl across, you know, all these drugs? No. He defended his son for being, you know, lunged at and yelled at by and screaming by a pro-abort fanatic escort. Mark did absolutely nothing wrong. But these agents of the Justice Department that were sent there by Attorney General Merrick Garland, and I'm absolutely convinced this is a political-inspired attack because they're saying, oh, this guy is trying to violate, you know, the FACE Act, which is, you know, something that President Clinton got into law to protect abortion uh, facilities from pro-life uh, protesters. In the 1980s, you know, there was a lot of civil disobedience. People would chain themselves to abortion facilities to try to prevent children from being murdered through abortion. But the FACE Act basically uh, enabled the federal government to crack down on all of that stuff. And since then, the pro-life movement has adjusted, you know, and they've done, they focus more just on counseling and prayerful witness and, and just trying to talk to women as they come up there and say, hey, you know, there are resources available. We'd love to be able to help you. You don't have to choose this option. You can choose life. And uh, we're there to help you every step of the way. And so that's what this uh, person, Mark, has done for many years. and. It's very noble, and, and we tip our hat to him. But I'm absolutely convinced this is a politically inspired uh, prosecution, extremely heavy-handed, absolutely no reason to send in a SWAT team. You know, I think they're trying to ramp this up. That After President Biden had declared that the COVID-19 pandemic was over, then he immediately shifted and threw out another executive order declaring another emergency. And people thought, oh, was it monkeypox? You know, was it was that what he's going to – Yeah. no, he decides – uh, it's it's terrorism, uh, conservative, you know, right wing, uh, white supremacy terrorism. It's absolutely bonkers when you look at the amount of violence that's going on in this country. Uh, you're seeing so many attacks on pro life resource centers, right. so many attacks on churches. We're we're tracking them all at Catholic Vote, but it's not just that. It's also you have the case where this guy killed like a 19 year old uh, man, young teenager in North Dakota, because he thought he was a right-wing extremist. Mm -hmm. And then you know, it's, it wasn't so long ago that a, a Bernie Sanders fan went to uh, the softball practice and started shooting at law, or lawmakers. Mm -hmm. I mean, so that, this idea that President Biden wants to pretend that it's just the right, quote, right-wing extremists are fomenting violence, when in fact, there's a ton of violence going on, right. like I said, against Catholic churches and pregnancy research centers. Has Merrick Garland and the Justice Department done anything about that? No, they haven't done anything. They decided to send a SWAT team to assault, essentially, a family. Yeah, what a great you know, use of resources. Mark out of his home, a dad out of his home. It's a bunch of, it's absolutely right. hogwash. And just the same you know? weekend, the same weekend, we had an 84-year-old woman who was shot going door to door, uh, canvassing about Michigan's Proposition 3, right? And Prop 3. Prop yeah. 3. And and she's she's working for the pro-life cause and she's shot in the back. I mean, I, I do see all of this, you know, I, I don't want to be all conspiracy theory, but I think it's a level-headed assessment of what's going on, that there's a, a concerted effort on the part of progressives to label this an us versus them and to further divide the country and to kind of create these labels that of uh, MAGA Republican agenda, right? That's the line right now you hear on every me media outlet that domestic terrorism, uh, MAGA Republicans who want to destroy democracy um, and, and lumping uh, pro-life uh, activists, lumping Catholics, all of these people into this category of second class, less than citizens who, because we're so dangerous to the democracy, should be treated differently. And um, that's, I think, what this weekend kind of crystallized for me um, with these two separate events um, that are nonetheless connected. Yeah, I, it hit me in two ways. You know, one very emotionally because Mark seemed like one of us, right? It, like it felt like someone from Catholic Vote could have gotten hit by the FBI for some pro-life position that they have. Like I personally have been outside of Planned Parenthoods before praying. Yeah. I know many other Catholics who have really committed serious time and resources to try to save save some souls, save some children. I mean, to paint a, people listening to this probably know, but in case you don't, it's it's a pretty common thing for Catholics to be outside of Planned mm -hmm. Parenthoods, uh, praying uh, and offering a lifeline, essentially. Right. Trying to, to get those women there. the resources they need so they can make a exactly. choice. Exactly. 
Mm-hmm. Right. When it when it's well done, it, it's super compassionate. It's actually a very powerful experience because unfortunately what happens with a lot of people is they're brought to these Planned Parenthoods feeling like they have no other choice or they're being coerced into having an abortion. And so these people are here to kind of provide that way out, that other option. And just me as a man, like if someone was in my kid's face, that's exactly what I would have done. Right. I, I wouldn't tolerate any type of violence. Well, that's the kids. thing, you know, as someone who, you know, I've brought my teenage children to pray in front of clinics um, as a way for them to participate in this witness, you know, seeing this story and realizing the message that's being sent here is if I have my kids next to me praying a rosary on the sidewalk, kneeling down, and one of these escorts attacks one of my children, I'd better not get between the escort and my kid because then that escort becomes the victim. And that's what the mm-hmm. Department of Justice is saying with this action, that be on notice, pro-life Catholics. And, you know, and again, this is far, it's not going after Gene's revenge, which called for the exactly. bombing of churches and priests. Hey. Uh, well, ironically center. enough, uh, the FACE Act can actually be used for people who are blocking places of worship as well. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if you remember back on Mother's Day, there was people protesting right outside the doors of Catholic churches, either not allowing people to go in, disrupting mass services, things like that. Where do I begin? The frustration is there's two classes, and there's one class that the Biden administration has made very clear that they're here to protect. And then the other class have just been absolute fair game for harassment, bullying, intimidation. That's, that's how I personally have felt as someone who has pro-life beliefs and actually believes and wants to act on them. And so, like you said, through fire and brimstone speeches have been labeled as these extremists, anti-democracy, anti-women, and it whips up this animus against them Mm -hmm. to the point where someone was shot for knocking door to door, encouraging people to maybe think about why they shouldn't vote for Prop 3. I mean, I have a personal story. I'm from Michigan. I was back at Mass in Michigan the other uh, week, and the priest, who I really respect, gave a homily really laying out what's on Prop 3. And for those wow. who are curious, we can include it in the Good for uh, show notes, but it's essentially unlimited abortion at any time, even by people who are not licensed to provide abortions. They're not equipped with the certifications and things like that to do it. It could force people who have religious beliefs, uh, exceptions to do those abortions as well, that that conscious beliefs go out the window. It's the most extreme way to basically make sure abortion is available up to the second of birth, even partial birth abortions are covered in this, and it would make this a part of Michigan's state constitution through a ballot initiative. And so really respect the priest for saying this, but honestly, I was moved after this, like, maybe I need to be sounding the alarm a little bit more. Fortunately, I have this platform. If you're in Michigan, you need to look at what Prop 3 is. And I, th- I really strongly urge you, text some of your friends, talk to your family. Like, yeah, if you're not going out. to go vote and know about what that is, because, of course, messaging the other side tries to make it really confusing and make it seem like it isn't this. I urge you, look up Prop 3 and go hit the vote, hit the voting booth and tell your friends about it. Because this is a really serious, like if this gets passed, it's now a part of the state constitution, which is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I thank you for that because I live in Michigan and I'm working my tail off here to try to change and uh, make sure that Proposition 3 doesn't pass. But just to get back to Mark Hawk for just a second, I mean, the thing is, you did mention it a little bit, Erica, about a two-tier system of justice. And I mean, the the point is a two-tier justice system, which we have right now, which is looking the other way and ignoring it when when the left, the political left does violence, political acts of violence, and then uh, dropping the hammer at, on people who aren't even cr- criminals like right. Mark Hawk. If you start out with a two-tier justice system, that doesn't actually last that long because you're going to have, that's that's a recipe for for a breakdown in the social order. Uh, when you don't have rule of law, you know we have a a lot of people in this country from a lot of different places, a lot of a lot of passionate feelings. But if we can't count on a rule of law to govern us, then mm-hmm. we're in a lot of trouble. The left just makes it seem like the opposition is criminal, not just that they did something wrong. It's like this is criminal. They won the most recent presidential election, right? But anytime they lose an election, they're always the one first ones to scream that the elections were stolen. Right. So it was sort of hilarious to see him chant about that but uh they always squawk you know uh and complain and uh, you know we really need to get back to a sense of rule of law yeah Yeah. and i also want to mention too whenever anyone's kind of like well 
you guys are Catholic, do your little faith thing. Uh, don't get involved in politics, right? Who appointed Merrick Garland as attorney general? President Biden, right? Yeah, so absolutely. all the people that stayed out of this election because, oh, I detest Trump or, oh, I detest whatever, who you vote for leads to this, which then leads to Mark Houck getting FBI people showing up at his house with guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there were some Republican senators who felt guilty that Merrick Garland never got uh, a hearings or a Supreme Court vote. I mean, you know, because he was nominated by President Obama to fill the seat that left by Justice Scalia's vacancy when he died. And so he nominated Merrick Garland. And thank God the United States Senate didn't confirm him to a permanent lifetime position on the, on the Supreme Court. Uh, and there are some Republicans who like, well, maybe this is sort of like a consolation prize. You know, it'll be it won't be so bad. <laughs> Make him, him attorney, attorney general. general. Right. It's been absolutely horrible. Merrick Garland deserves to be removed from office. We need a new Congress that will hold hearings mm-hmm. on what happened with the FBI and the Justice Department in this horrific raid. But why have they also done nothing against all the attacks on churches and pregnancy resource centers? We need hearings. And frankly, we need uh, some heads to roll. This is absolutely scandalous. Yeah, this midterm election matters so much when it comes to, like you said, Josh, not just this particular raid, which is outrageous and so disproportionate, but just a restoration of the rule of law and an end to this two-tiered system. So get out and vote in this midterm election. This is not a, oh, wait till the next presidential one because that's the important one. No, no, no. This year, get out now. <laughs> yeah, and pray for Mark too. Yeah. I mean, pray for Mark, pray for his family. He's got seven little kids. Yeah. How cool though that all this went down during the Catholic vote novena to in honor of St. Michael to defend our churches and pregnancy centers. So right now, all of these Catholics all over the country, I think we've we're we're close to three hundred thousand prayers pledged, are praying for men just like him, um, for abortion clinic protesters like him, um, for the people he serves. So there's so much prayer being poured out on his family right now through that novena. And um, yeah, but continue to pray for sure. I can't imagine, I can't imagine as a mother, like who's in kind of the same age range as their family. I, I can't imagine just waking up one morning and having my kids go through that, watching their dad just be carted off. Talk about life changing. Yeah. No, and how inf- how infuriating is it to have feel unsafe in places of worship and have pregnancy centers that people volunteer their time for have to hire armed security because they're concerned about rocks being thrown their windows, fire bombings going on, and the Department of Justice isn't doing anything. So mm-hmm. a few takeaways. Your vote really matters. Who you vote for, personnel is policy, I think is, is the exact and you get you know, and you get the kind of government you know, I mean, we get the government we deserve if, you know, Catholics continue to sit on their hands or kind of say, well, you know, I don't know, I, you know, and they're kind of trite with, the, you know, the power they have uh, at the ballot box, then you get political leaders like we have today who really don't care at all about the rule of law. Yeah. <laughs> it's the FBI calling you, Josh. <laughs> You're under investigation. <laughs> the yeah. timing. Yeah, Mercer is the next big news story. Uh, We will speak well of you when it happens, Mercer. (laughs) So moving on, we have our uh, favorite lifestyle story of the week. Oh, this is great. Very necessary. Now just a refreshment, a spiritual refreshment. So we have ways to increase your Eucharistic devotion. Man, what an awesome part of our Catholic faith. So it goes over different ways that you can prepare yourself, that you can prepare your family to have more of a disposition to Uh, be ready for when you're in front of the Eucharist to receive the Eucharist. With this article, it was a good opportunity for us all to talk about as Catholics. You know, what does the sacrament mean to you? And what are some ways that you prepare yourself to receive and and to adore? Well, I mean, in terms of trying to inculcate a reverence um, for the Eucharist, you know, I invite my children to, you know, receive on the tongue it's it's a higher level of reverence it's you know not as popular with many catholics today because they feel like well yeah, yeah vatican too <laughs> i can just receive it like it's a you know a, a a cookie or something like that and it's not it's it's the body and blood soul and divinity of our lord savior jesus christ and i do like the idea of kneeling 
uh, and receiving it. Um, if we have kneelers, uh, we don't usually have it at my church, but I do receive on the tongue as a, as a form of added reverence. And I actually, I discourage receiving it in both species. I know they're so big on receiving in both you know, mm-hmm. species of the Eucharist. And I, I actually don't think that's a good idea. And the reason I think that is because it should be for the whole purpose of what we want to try to do is make sure it doesn't become just a an empty routine. You mm-hmm. walk up, you receive Jesus, and you know you go back to your pew, and you're like, "Oh, well, it's just something we do." It's like you want to try to help under give them a your children a sense of this magnanimous moment. Uh, you can't get any closer to your Lord than this. Right. The church has a ways of a hierarchy in its feasts, right? You have regular daily mass, then you have the Sunday mass, which is intended to be a higher form. Mm-hmm. And then you also, throughout the calendar, you have uh, feast days, solemnities. Then you have the greatest feast, you know, like Easter and then uh, Christmas, certainly, and Pentecost. And and so, like, I say to to my children, like, if you receive the blood, if you receive it on Easter and Christmas and Pentecost and Corpus Christi, then it has more meaning. It's not just something you do every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And and so that's, for me, I, I just feel like we need to get a little bit back into some of those, you know, small ways of helping us understand a greater form of reverence. And I remember in so many of these, so many of these debates over the, for example, the Latin Mass. Um, I don't, I, I've been to Latin Mass. Um, it's not easy for me to attend. Uh, just I'm a very rural area. I respect it and I like it. It I prefer it in English. Maybe I'm not as good a Catholic as everyone else. <laughs> the thing is that I always say about with regards to this debate, it's just about a desire. So many people have a fervent desire for greater reverence during mm-hmm. the mass. I it, it, to me the most English Vatic post Vatican II masses are, are bland. It feels like cold oatmeal. Just, mm-hmm. and I don't mean, I mean, you know, instant oatmeal. I mean, just nothing. And to me, it's like, so I've seen, I've seen masses in, uh, that are in English that are now this new Anglican rite. And I thought, mm-hmm. gosh, this is actually very well done. And, you know, I feel like if the church, why is there, you know, I, I know that Pope Francis cracked down on the Latin mass recently, and I think that was very foolish. And I, and like I say, I don't even go. It's not like it's personally against me, but it's like, to me, we want to try to help give Catholics a greater appreciation and reverence and awe. So to do that for the Eucharist, I think obviously Eucharistic adoration is good. Mm-hmm. I try to make it a point for my family too. It's like Eucharistic adoration when you can. It's a little harder for us, mm-hmm. but I I like to make little mini pilgrimages. Like let's go adore Jesus in the Eucharist, and then let's go to confession like mm-hmm. as a family. And sometimes we'll go pick out a special church that, that we don't normally go to, to just to make it a little more special, mainly because, you know, that way um, it's it's just special, you know, and then we all go get ice creams. Yeah, or I think it, I think it's really great that you just mentioned um, going to confession along with a visit to the Eucharist. Um, I, there was a homily this past weekend. It was a great homily. Um, and the priest was just all about the Eucharist and coming to the Eucharist as this means of unity and all that. But I think that um, the something's been lost in in the uh, in the church in America, at least in the last few years. That does it exacerbates this blandness that you're talking about. But that connection between the two sacraments, the sacrament of reconciliation and the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist, that um, through the sacrament of reconciliation, our souls are made pure again so that we can worthily receive the Eucharist. And knowing that we need that cleansing and that healing to receive the Eucharist intensifies um, that reverence, right? That, oh, this is something holy. Like, I don't just assume every Sunday I'm going to go up and get my communion, right? Because I'm unified. But that this, the church asks us to to continue to bind these two sacraments together. And I know in our house, when we're doing First Communion, preparation with our children, we really try and emphasize that. Go to confession as a family so that they see that this is something we do as a family every month. We make the time. Usually we have to drive a long way because it's hard to get to confession and it's never convenient, but um, you go, you all line up, you all go, and then you receive 
the Eucharist the next day at Mass. Well, and, and what an example I think it provides to children when the parents like, like, look, I, I we have these rules, you know, and, we're, and they're not just arbitrary. We're, we're, we're trying to maintain a household here, obviously. Mm-hmm. And these rules that you kids have to accept and abide by, we also accept and abide by. Yeah. We're still subject to those same kind of laws and rules. And by going to confession, we're, we're, say, we're letting them know, look, you know, I, if I screw up, I make a mistake. I'm right there in the box, too. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so I think the it's sin bin. The sin bin. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> no sin bin. Kids get appreciation for that. You know, they know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kids are watching. And I think totally. you made a great point. It's like I, kids see what you value and what you hold on a pedestal. And then that instantly becomes like, oh, mm-hmm. why is that? You know, and then I think you guys brought up such great points. And from my totally non-intellectual, very surface level, like my newest addiction is like every Saturday, I have been going to adoration mm. and confession. Great and addiction. I off as, it, there's worse things to be addicted to. Yes. Sure. But I miss it. I genuinely miss it when I don't go. I, it's so hard to describe. Like I started going for Lent. And as just like, this is what we're going to do for Lent. Every Saturday, mm-hmm. we're going to do this. And I stuck to it. And then Lent comes and goes. And, you know, that's kind of when you fall off or whatever. But this didn't fall off. Like, it, it just it felt like such a nice time to reset. Because sometimes when I'm at Mass, you know, I got a wife and a young kid. And, and it's a little bit crazy. And sometimes you're, uh, I don't know. But when I sit in front of the Eucharist, I, I can't remember which saint described it as this. But it's kind of like a, a suntan. You know, when you're <laughs> sitting in front of it, you get tan. And it's kind of like your holiness. And so I'm just getting tanned. <laughs> and really I get burned. Time with Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get burned for sure. Yeah. So I do that. And Eric, you brought up such a good point. I think that if you bring up the sacrament of confession as well, you it just shows that it's such a physical way to show that you have more reverence for what's going on on Sunday at Mass. And I've been to parishes that offer uh, confession during Mass, which might sound kind of crazy to people who haven't seen this before, but. I think it's so cool that you take it so seriously that you offer before, during, obviously when people are receiving, they take a break to go do that, but then they continue after. Mm-hmm. It's like the more you can offer that to people, I want to encourage if there's any priest listening to this, like I want to encourage you guys. Like I know it's hard and I know it's a lot of time, but for me, I'm so now attached to going to such frequent confession that if I don't, I I kind of feel like I'm not prepared. I haven't sat down and prepared myself to then go receive. So uh, thank you to all those priests working hard and, and offering that for me because I screw up a lot. So with regards to like adoration or confession, it's important for us to, you know, too often we only see it through these things will help you and these things will be good for you. And mm-hmm. that's certainly true and, and do that by all means. But we should also try to foster what Christ talks about, like to, to be like little children and, and to start to think of these things as gifts that we give to our Lord. You know, like I'm here in adoration, not just because I know it's good for my soul, but I, because I love you, right. Jesus. You know, that's why I'm here. And, and I think that's what you're talking about when you say, like, you're, you're really desiring that time to be with Jesus because you want to be with him. That's, that's how we need to look at it. You know, yeah. um, I, I think it, that's where it starts to get really becomes transformative. Yeah, I would encourage anyone who wants to really dive into what Josh just said. Um, and just start to see this as a response of love, not because it gives us something or because it's an example to our children, which are important elements, but who just wants to adore the face of Christ, which we hope to see before us for all eternity. Um, I'd really recommend um, anything Pope Benedict XVI wrote on the Eucharist. Uh, he had a great book on the Eucharist when he was still the head of the CDF and he was Cardinal Ratzinger. Um, and just his writing on the Eucharist, I mean, here's a man in love with the face of Jesus Christ and the mystery of the Holy Eucharist. Um, and it's so moving to read him. So I, I would recommend picking up anything. Just Google Benedict the Sixteenth and the Holy Eucharist and start reading. Um, and you're going to be like, I've got to get to confession. I have to see Jesus. I've got to get to adoration. Josh, uh, isn't it true you met Benedict? Don't you, you have a little... What? A, a little a little meet cute story. You've been holding back on us. You met him. Well, I did meet Pope Benedict, and uh, my friend always said, "said you know, when you get to meet the the Pope, 
you know, you just become like clamoring idiot and you forget what you're going to say. And you just stand there like, (laughs) I said, no, I, I, I think I'll, I'll, I won't get stage fright. I'll say something because something there's, cool. a, there's a custom and tradition that if you uh, visit the Pope within a year of getting married, uh, you get in your wedding gear and you get like special seating and the, and the Pope comes to visit you. And, and so he comes walking by, you know, there's, you know, 40 or so of us, you know, 20, 30 couples there. And, and uh, he comes by and I said, uh, long live Germany. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am German, you know, by background, that obviously. And, and, and he looks brilliant. at me. Uh, he says, <laughs> I can't even say it right. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? And I said, uh, no. American? <laughs> and then I'm like, I don't know what to say, but I'm like, long live America? I, I guess. And he's kind of like, huh, yeah. Takes yeah. his head, like smiles, like nah, okay, dumb American, whatever. He didn't look of that. disappointment. His face dropped, and then he walks. Oh, you know, and then he keeps walking. But it, you know, I said to my wife, I said, you know, just that short little five second interaction I had there, and so the next day we go to see all the photos. You mm-hmm. know, and there was like two, three photos tops of anybody, but us there was like sixteen because <laughs> we had stopped and interacted for a little bit. So I got all these great yes. photos. Yes. It was great. So say anything. And then I told him, don't quit. No, I'm. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I know. I always say when I get to heaven, one of the first DVDs I want to see is the DVD that explains what happened when Benedict retired. What happened? (laughs) Why did he do it? What was the Holy Spirit doing? Because like, not that God owes me an explanation or anything, but. I'd probably like not. to know. No, probably, no, probably not. not. Thanks, Josh. It's, a, it's like heavenly instant replay, you know? Like, you know, yeah. I'd love to see that one. What back was the heaven that. perspective on that one? Oh, yeah. fly on the wall. Oh. So uh, that leads us into our next topic. Uh, so we kind of have a, a, a choose your own adventure. I love those books as a Ooh, kid. Shameless book. I'm excited. I've so I always die, we though. Have the newest international Catholic leader. Uh, so Italy has elected a new prime minister. Uh, her name is Giorgia Maloney. That's my Maloney. best Italian. That's all I'm going to give. Uh, so she is a Catholic mother in the right-wing party in Italy, and the country overwhelmingly elected her. And so she's kind of gone viral because this is one of the first times Italy has chosen someone from the right-wing party. And then we also have you know, our infamous Catholic leader, President Biden. And the juxtaposition was just so interesting to me on the media attention for when Biden was elected and then when uh, this lady, Georgia Maloney, was elected, uh, they weren't the same. And yet they're both Catholic. Supposedly, they have the same religion and the same ideals. So, uh, Erica, what was the juxtaposition and what did that tell you about her positions and how that relates to the media? Sure. I think the juxtaposition um, that really came to the fore this week, which is why we're profiling it, is that um, Joe Biden, President Biden, this um, past week, he claimed in a speech at a Democratic fundraiser that the Catholic Church now allows some abortion. And of course, he was speaking against this, um, the Republican proposal to restrict some abortions after 15 weeks gestation. And he said, I happen to be a practicing Roman Catholic. My church doesn't even make that argument, which was a direct direct quote. I just read it off of my little like direct quote screen. And almost hard to believe. It almost I, felt like you were making that up. Uh, you know, I'm reading it from the actual speech and it just completely like outrageous. Like not only, I mean, at least, you know, th- no, I'm not even going to go there, but it was just so completely outrageous that he would just claim that his, the Catholic church would somehow uh, approve of any abortion at any stage. Contrasted with the, materials that came out of Italy from Georgia Maloney's past. I mean, we had this speech that she gave um, on the campaign trail where she's talking about, I'm Catholic, I'm a mother, I'm a woman. And then she goes into, um, every human person has a unique genetic code and is irreplaceable, every human life, and we are going to protect them. And I mean, she just spoke Catholic social teaching for a three-minute clip. She basically was quoting Rayram Navarman. She actually ended by quoting my man, G.K. Chesterton, 
And this quote was so amazing. I'm pulling it up. Do you have it in front of you? Oh, here it is. I mean, if you're not going to read it, I will. Oh, no, I'm going because I'm the female. So I'm going to like try and channel the Italian version, which actually I Chesterton sounds even better in Italian. I'm just going to put that out there because, wow, that was dramatic. (laughs) But he said, fires will be kindled to testify that two and two make four. Swords will be drawn to prove that leaves are green in summer. And then she goes, we are ready. She's like, bring it, bring it on. And just the juxtaposition between yeah. Biden being like, even my church doesn't believe abortion's wrong anymore. And her saying two plus two is four. We are ready. Every human life is precious and irreplaceable. I was like, this is it. This is our choice. Like two icons of this. And of course, the secular media has been ripping her apart. I was just scrolling through the headlines from all of our usual suspects. We had CBS, we had MSNBC, NBC. Um, she's the, the most, the most right wing candidate Italy has elected since Mussolini, right? That's the line. They're trying to associate her with Mussolini. Uh, not to say that her platform is the opposite of fascism. So just quick rundown for people. What is fascism? Fascism, is fascism? fascism is the utter subordination of the individual and the family and the church to the state, right? To state power. So this is totalitarian fascism. That's what Mussolini stood for. Her platform's the opposite. She's saying, we don't subordinate the individual. We don't subordinate the family. We don't subordinate the church. We are not, how does she put it? The perfect consumer to be controlled by big tech, by big corps, by big business, by the state. We're fighting for the individual. She's the opposite of fascism. But the best they can do, because they hate what she stands for so much, is to try and associate her name with Mussolini and just make yeah, that sorry. the line. Eric, I'm going to have to come in, fact check you from the clouds. Hey. Uh, according, to, according to Orwell, the word fascism has no meaning except insofar as it signifies something not desirable. And I think that might be the greatest quote of modern fascism <laughs> I've ever heard. Orwell on the money as usual. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the and label's so it, become. I mean, that's what the label it's is. Important to note, though, after Hitler, like you know, the the most pure example of fascism in, in the world today would be like China, right? Where you have the state controlling and dominating the uh, so many of the economic uh, industries. They have social credits, you know, uh, so that you know if you say something on social media, they can you know affect you, your ability, and your freedoms. And it's so much opposite of what she was getting at. And she was, I mean, look at her. Like, she says, I can't identify myself as an Italian Christian woman mother. No, I must be citizen X, gender X, (laughs) parent parent one, one. parent two. (laughs) I must be a number because when I am only a number and when no longer have any, have an identity or roots, then I will be the perfect slave Mm -hmm. at the mercy of financial speculators, the perfect consumer. That is so true what she said. Like. Apple, Amazon, Facebook, they want you to be a nice little slave consumer. And so this is where some of those, some conservatives or some on the right are finally waking up from their doldrums and realizing that everything that is business is good was a bunch of baloney. Disney doesn't have your best interests at heart. You think Facebook does? You know, like, why did you think General Motors, all these corporations were automatically good just because they're a private enterprise? I mean, I understand we had a, you know, century long battle with communism. And so we just, we didn't want to have an economy that was crushed. You know, we wanted to have a free market, but that does not mean big business is your friend. I mean, big business, just like big tech, all these guys, they want the, they, they see the family as a threat. So they just want to reach you and your children as consumers. Mm -hmm. So it was nice to hear her say that. That What's fascinating about that statement particularly is I feel like that's where kind of the old 2000s, early 2000s conservatives really failed. They're like, we just want the government out of everything. We just want lower taxes. And unfortunately, the other side took, well, screw all that. We're going to control the government. And then the government's going to dictate policy. And you're all going to have to live under the policy. So Mm -hmm. clearly one side won out on that. But what's so interesting about what she's saying in Italy is consumatore perfect. I can't remember. The video is going to be in the show notes. It was awesome. We clipped it up. Just expressing, no, we're not slaves to the government and we're not slaves to big business. Actually, the most basic unit to recognize us as is a family. Right. Specifically, she started off that clip. It's actually from three years ago. She's speaking at a family summit Mm -hmm. and said, 
why are people so scared of the family? And the reason they're so scared of the family is because that is the wall that protects them from being isolated, stripped apart, and turned into these cogs in the machine of someone to make money off of, someone to work as a slave for the government. Mm -hmm. And so she's advocating for pro-family policies. She's a mother herself. So she's a, a mom who now just became, for the first time, she's the first female prime minister in Italy's history. And now she's being torn down as the <laughs> next Mussolini. I mean, I, I have to bring it up that Babylon B, I mean, they're oh, the last. This was good. Over there. Bring it up, Tom. The, the headline is leftists announced they're no longer supporting strong, independent women, which is <laughs> hilarious. But some of the, the fake quotes they brought up is like, this is what the news coverage was. So they made this quote, if we had spent less time empowering women, maybe we could have stopped this far, far right, right wing, fascist, far extremist, far, far Nazi right extremist, right winger from getting elected. So you have to use that there like that. It's helpful because the mm-hmm. left has lost their minds on this stuff. Yeah. And, and I, I've said this before. I think the left does a great disservice, you know, when they accuse everyone they disagree with of being a racist, or a homophobic, a, mm-hmm. a fascist, a far right. It, the words will lose their meaning. And so when someone actually oh. is like, oh, well, you can say, well, they say that about everybody. So they're making that true. Unfortunately, that's not, uh, it's not wise. They're playing with yeah. dynamite. I think it's, I think it's horrible. Yeah. It's a fantastic point. And that brings us into, once again, everyone's favorite part of the show, the twilight zone. I'm so excited. Actually at two this week. Hey Tom. Uh, it was chock full with some moments, man. Looks like I don't know if this is just a glitch, but I keep ending up first on the sheet, so I think that means I go first again. It's called a template. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's working out for me because I get the template my, you my, love. We'll stick with it. I get my pick. What you got, Tom? So, first Twilight Zone, Stacey Abrams, uh, and this will be in the show notes, you know, as always. But she had a humdinger of a clip. She said that the fetal heartbeat at six weeks was actually a manufactured sound made up so that men can control women's bodies. Now, if you're thinking, wow, Tom, that was an amazing Twilight Zone. I do feel like I'm living in the Twilight Zone just hearing that. But wait, it gets better. So Planned Parenthood catches wind of this, and they're like, oh, wait, established scholar Stacey Abrams said this? Now this must be the truth. So they actually changed uh, the text on their website to acknowledge these modifications that saying under the five to six week mark of pregnancy, a part of the embryo starts to show cardiac activity. It sounds like a heartbeat on an ultrasound. It's not a fully formed heart. It's the earliest stage of heart developing. And this was pretty funny to me because of course I'm going through our comment sections as we clipped it, but a lot of people are arguing over the science of, well, is it really a heartbeat? Is it really not? Most people agree it is, but isn't this kind of Besides the point, if we have to argue this much over cardiac activity, and we're all dodging the fact that, well, this kind of sounds like a life, you know, like people that have heartbeats and hearts and cardiac activity, they're living things. Uh, it's kind of hilarious. When Think of your experience, Tom, of your own, your own child, unborn child. You go into the OB, it's your first ultrasound. Everyone's nervous because maybe something's wrong. And what happens? You see the little flicker on the ultrasound screen. And everyone goes, congratulations, you have a healthy heartbeat. Like, it's not, well, there's some manufactured noise going on here. So it looks like the embryo is has the beginning stages of what could be a heart eventually. Like, no, like, let's just get back to what we experience as parents in that room. And uh, don't let Stacey Abrams mess with your head here. What's the truth of what you saw? Abrams was busy doing her cameos from Star Trek, but of course, by by trying to change the definition of a heartbeat, she's trying to you know win the debate by by default, I guess. And it's very frustrating because pro lifers have these debates, and then the left completely just yeah, change know, the word audible and just changes the word. I mean, we we saw that <laughs> with pregnancies. I can never say that correctly. It, they changed the definition there, and then they mm-hmm. did a few years ago on fertilization. You know they. They say, oh, life begins, you know, uh, and we would say at right. conception. They say, oh, well, you know, Well, it's not just pro-life issues, right? It's what the uh, recession. Suddenly, <laughs> you're wrong, right? Oh, no, 
didn't understand what a heartbeat was. Oh, no, you just you don't understand what a recession is. You poor, stupid, right wing, fascist, Nazi. Like everyone agreed that a recession was two consecutive quarters of negative financial growth. Right. Like, and then all of a sudden it happens to Biden. It's like, oh, I mean, well, actually, some people call that the definition. Like, nobody, everybody did. What we have to understand is when we have these public debates and they try changing the words, yes, we need to call them out on that. But, like, don't lose your own mind. Like, they're trying to make you lose your mind and they're trying to shut you out and to shut you up. And it's like, what you need to realize is that you're Mm -hmm. trying to educate your neighbors out there. Like, do you see what's going on with this? They are losing the debate so that they're trying mm-hmm. to pretend that we're all called crazy. gaslighting. You know, it's like the emperor wearing mm-hmm. no clothes. It's like uh, two plus two is five. It's like, no, you have to stand. And we're keeping the receipt. Shout out the Wayback Machine. You can see actually when they change things. Uh, but you brought, I brought it up earlier. That's an Orwell thing, right? 1984. Didn't they have like a, mm-hmm. uh, an official like truth source or something like that. I need to go back and read that book. But. Yeah. Okay. If you haven't read 1984 in the last five years and you remember it vaguely from their high school American lit class, get it out and reread it, people. <laughs> it's insane. Like yeah. people keep referencing it. I don't think everyone's read it. So people like, don't be that way. Read 1984 again. Yep. I'm, I'm reading it with my daughter this semester for her modern lit class. Whoa. Awesome. Crazy. Awesome. So I, I got to sneak this last one in, but. Uh, I think we're finished because the CIA is officially launching a podcast and I have no idea how we're going to compete with that. And if, if it might strike you as a little bit strange that a secret cl- clandestine organization is starting a podcast, what were their intentions with that? Well, they're actually, uh, quote, they wanted to step out from the shadows and to demystify <laughs> its spy work to help Americans understand the intelligence agency's role. So. I'm really looking forward to feeling like I'm sitting in the same room with my best friends from the CIA and, and they talk about all of their we'll secrets. now we'll all understand how the CIA yeah. works. Yeah. And I wonder if they're going to touch on any of the shady <laughs> stuff that they did, you know, like psychedelics back in the day or... Yeah. That would add to the human element. It for sure would. I appreciate it. Yeah. Humanize the CIA. Yeah. And, uh, and, and yeah. Keeping, keeping, because of course they wouldn't want to reveal too much. The, uh, the hosts are just going by their first names in case you're worried about too much information being brought up by them. But yeah, that might be the next podcast for you after the Loopcast. The CIA podcast is called The Langley Files. Really curious what's coming out on that one. But I, I yield my Twilight Throne. Their num- number one fan is going to be the Chinese Communist Party, CCP. They already had all their agents subscribe, start downloading the episodes. It's going to be Yeah, great. smash that like button, smash the subscribe. They're demystifying. Yeah. <laughs> Check us out. That's awesome. All right, Mercer, you're up. I guess my Twilight Zone is. The official Twitter account of the the Synod. Explain what the Synod is, because I still don't know what it is. I work here and I'm Catholic. But what, please, could you just basic summary? What is the Synod? <laughs> it defies understanding, well, like God. A church run by committees. The synod, and then they had a synod on synods, which was like you know a committee on committee meetings. Uh, it sounds absolutely terrifying, uh, and and so <laughs> you know this. So there's a now there's a Twitter account for synod. Why wouldn't they? You know synod.va. You can go check out their whole website. You know if if you're bored to tears, uh, you know actually really if you can't <laughs> fall asleep, go to synod.va. Read up on what. I'll push you to sleep in no time flat. And, and they, so on their social media page here on Twitter, uh, they decided to post a cartoon. At first, I thought it was, you know, the Anglicans or the Unitarians. Uh, but the cartoon is definitely of a church, Catholic church. I mean, you know, they got they got to bring out the smells and bells to try to push the propaganda. And this cartoon shows somebody, you know, mm-hmm. wearing a LGBT pride T-shirt. And the person next to him is a woman dressed up as a priest. And I think to myself, why is a Vatican uh, Twitter account pushing out pro-LGBT stuff, pro-women priest mm-hmm. stuff? I mean, it, a- absolute Twilight Zone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and my friend Tom Crow is like, I mean, he says, I mean, seriously, 
you know, an overlay red stool on a white chasuble. I mean, if you're going to play act being a priest, at least get the clothing right. Yeah. You got to be able to laugh at this stuff. But of course, it's, I do think it, yeah. it's Twilight Zone, I do think it's does sinister. damage, you know, because people are like, what is going on? Like, you know, the church, the, the, does she take herself seriously? Is this really what, I mean, it's been problematic, you know, uh, there's just a lot of stuff that, that it's been very much the Twilight Zone last few years and it started with having james martin the pro lgbt priest as a vatican spokesman that was a, a decision that we've seen cause yeah. uh, other problems like this down the road laugh so. or cry that's it's right hard. i hope you make me laugh not cry all right mm-hmm. is it my turn it is your turn yes i love my turn all right so this week you gotta wait i gotta build this up for the punchline so everyone, you might have seen there are 48 people indicted by the Department of Justice, which was actually investigating a real crime in addition to all of its other activities. It did so investigate these. So I know, right? I was shocked. Twilight Zone fraud charges. Um, a group of 48 people they've now indicted for billing the government over $250 million for food and meals fed to children who never existed. This is one of the this is actually the biggest pandemic fraud scheme known of yet that's been exposed yet. And so all of this was pandemic funds to feed hungry children who'd been disadvantaged due to the pandemic, all the conspirators. And the conspirators were kind of dumb about it, right, as conspirators are wont to be. Um, so the one guy uh, had claimed 5,000 children per day were being fed in his second story one bedroom apartment. So that was kind of odd. Um, another was using random number generators to assign ages to fake children whose ages fluctuated wildly with each report that they submitted as a result. Um, so this was kind of crazy. They were spending it on real estate in like Kenya, luxury cars. It was great. Well, it turns out that these 48 conspirators had a connection to Minnesota um, government. So a woman named Amy Bach, who was the founder and executive director of Feeding Our Future which was a state-sponsored uh, program to help underserved kids in the Twin Cities uh, in Minnesota uh, prior to the pandemic. So she'd been doing this a long time. So Amy Bach gets caught up in this fraud scheme. And here's the Twilight Zone. How does she respond? She cried racism. She charges the DOJ with discriminating against the children served <laughs> who are from the Far East She's, they're discriminating against children and families from the, the Far fake East. Children? The fake children who never existed. The DOJ is racist against these fake children. And that's not racism. That's existencism. I'm trying to come up with a new discrimination term to describe discrimination against children who never saw the light of day. Did those um, fake children identify as real and that was kind of the problem there? Well, the jury's out. They haven't spoken. They cannot be reached the for fake, comment. The, the, the fake children <laughs> reached for comment? <laughs> and that was my Twilight Zone. Racism wow. against the children who were served who didn't exist. And back to Matt, Mercer's point, uh, words matter. Words, words matter. definitely matter and it cheapens the value of them when you apply them to fake children that were being fake fed. All right, guys, thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Loopcast. We love putting these together for you. Thank you so much for the feedback. We'd really appreciate if you left a review or rating on the platform that you're listening on. It really helps boost us and the algorithms, get it out to as many people as possible. Uh, We continue on our journey to 1 million loopers, and we march on. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Thanks for joining us on Loopcast. Please subscribe and leave a review.